Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. In today's sermon, we are continuing in the book of Romans and we're looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And Paul turns his attention now to the Christian life and he starts with a question which many of us have been asked before, which is, if God forgives us anyway, then why don't we just keep on sinning? It's a good question and I think many people are confused about it. So that's what's coming up in the sermon today. There wasn't a uh, holiness course this week on YouTube, but you can go back and look at the first couple of sessions if you missed them, and the, uh, that will be continuing in this coming week. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, there's a page down below. Don't forget, while you're here, if you could give the podcast a rating and a review, if you haven't already, that would be super helpful to me. Thanks so much, everyone, for all your support. I hope that you are uh, find this sermon a blessing, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. God bless. I don't know if you've ever tried to explain your faith to someone else, but one of the most common questions that people have is, well, if God just forgives us anyway in Jesus, then why should we bother to do good? If God will just forgive us anyway, then why should we even try to do the right thing? Now, that's a really good question, isn't it? And I think it's it's extra hard because a lot of Christians are confused about this topic. I think a lot of Christians think that when we come to believe in Jesus, we just need to try really hard to keep the rules. And then when we don't keep the rules, God will forgive us. But, you know, it it comes to our own efforts or, or something like that. And that's not really what the Christian life is about. But fortunately for us, it's a topic which Paul turns to now and he addresses head on in this part of Romans, Romans chapter six. Now, remember last week we were thinking about how Christ is superior to Adam. So, you know, all of the, the sin and the, the death that, that entered the world through Adam, Christ is superior. So Paul says that where sin increased, grace increased all the more because Christ is, is superior to Adam. And some people may then have said, well, doesn't that mean we should just go on sinning? because the more we sin, the more grace there is. So shouldn't we just go on sinning? And that's the exact thing that Paul starts out, the question that Paul starts out addressing. He says there in verse one, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. He says, by no means, or or it's sometimes translated, God forbid, or absolutely not. No, there's no way that that can be the case. That is not Christianity at all. You've misunderstood if if that's what you think. And he goes on to say, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He says it's totally illogical to want to continue in sin once you've come to Christ. It's the level of someone who's been rescued from a burning building wanting to run back into the building again and keep running in and keep keep being saved you know it it's ridiculous you know how could how could someone who's been rescued from that want to to run in again and likewise paul says how can we who've been saved from sin want to continue in it any longer 
And so he, he goes on to talk about our baptism. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? So he says that baptism is, is a powerful symbol and it symbolises when we die and then rise again, like dying and, and rising again with Christ. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone baptised by full immersion, you know, that they go down, right down into the water, uh, under the water, and then come back up again. And it's that powerful symbol of death and then new life, you know, dying and then rising again. And that's what Paul talks about with dying uh, to sin. And, and this is what he's explaining in this, this whole passage, how that makes a difference for the way that we live. Um, now, it's important to say, just because some churches do say this, that we are not saved by baptism itself. You know, because Paul is not contradicting himself here. He's not been saying over the last few chapters that we're saved by faith, you know, that faith is the most important thing. And then we get to chapter six and he says, no, it's actually baptism. Now, that would be a contradiction, wouldn't it? Now, the, obviously, faith is what we are saved by. Faith is the important thing. Baptism is just a sign of that faith. And I think it helps to understand that in the early days of the church, faith and baptism just kind of went together. That when someone believed in Jesus, then they were straight away baptised. You know, that was the way that it worked. And we see examples of this in the New Testament. You know, for example, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts uh, was reading the scriptures. Philip came to explain. Uh, he understood and came to believe in Jesus Christ, saw water and said, look, you know, what, what prevents me from being baptised here and now? And he was baptised. And that is, that is the way that it works, uh, that it worked in the New Testament. You know, faith and baptism sort of went together. And baptism is just a sign of that faith. It's, it's not the thing that brings the faith. It's, it's not a replacement for the faith. It's just a sign of the faith. But we don't have the time to go into, into baptism here. So Paul says we've, uh, we were, that baptism is a sign of death and new life. And he goes on to explain, uh, we were uh, therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So Paul kind of outlines here what he's going to elaborate in the rest of this, this passage, the, the topic that he's moving on to. And it is, in a nutshell, what we call union with Christ, being united to Christ, which is the subject of the next few verses. So he says in verse five, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Being united to Christ. Now, one of the most common ways to refer to a Christian in the New Testament is not actually the, the word Christian. The word Christian is only used, I think, about two or three times in the whole New Testament. The most common way that the, the New Testament refers to Christians is the phrase in Christ, in 
Christ, being united to Christ. That's what it means. It, it means that Christ, when we come to believe in Jesus, that he dwells in our hearts by faith. It means that we, we, we are united to Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's something that's really important. And that's something which uh, kind of underpins everything that we go on to, uh, to talk about. So what does it mean for us? Well, here, I think a diagram will help. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and put a diagram up on the screen just to explain. So let me just try and summarise what Paul says in these next two, uh, next few verses. There are two realms that he, he talks about. There's the realm of sin. I'll call it the realm of sin. This is the realm you know, that, that, we, that we live in, if you like. The realm of, of sin, the realm of Adam, where there's death, where there is disease and, and destruction, where there is evil. You know, all of those things. And what Paul says is that Christ died in this realm. That's where Christ was crucified. He died in this realm. And he was raised in the realm of God, in the realm of life. That's the second realm. It's the realm of, of God. It's the realm of life, of eternal life. It's the realm of, of goodness and righteousness and everything good, where there's, there's nothing bad at all. So Christ died in the realm of sin and was raised in the realm of God and new life. Okay, so that's that's important. He died, was, was crucified in the realm of sin, was raised in the realm of new life. That matters for us because it means that if we are united to Christ, then we too die and are raised again. That's exactly the point that Paul is making. So he says, for example, in verse uh, 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And he says in verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So do you see that when we are united to Christ, we are united to him in his death and in his resurrection. We die, it's like our old selves are nailed to the cross with Christ, being punished for sin, but then we rise again, we join Christ as he leaves the tomb and leaves it empty on Easter Sunday. In a sense, Christ's story is our story when we come to believe in Jesus. And that means that we will be set free from sin. As Paul says, verse 7, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So that's the point here that we, it's like we have been crucified with Christ in the realm of sin and then raised in the realm of new life. That's what it means to be united to Christ, that we are in the realm of new life. So it is as if that we were crucified on the cross and that we leave the empty tomb 
with Jesus Christ. It's a, an astonishing truth and it's one which is very similar to what Paul says elsewhere. For example, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And he lives now by faith, as we've been thinking about. So Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection are not just events that happen outside of ourselves, but they are actually things which happen, in a sense, happen to us by faith. You know, we're crucified with Christ, that the body of, of sin is crucified with him. All of our the punishment for sin taken upon Christ on the cross. And then we, we join him as he leaves the tomb uh, with new life. Now, you might be thinking, OK, well, hold on a second, because I do still sin and I'm still going to die one day. So where does that kind of leave us with all of this? Because I haven't yet died and, and risen again. This is not this body here and your body where, the, where you're watching this. You know, it's not our resurrection body as yet. So how does this all fit together? And that's what Paul goes on to talk about in this last section is how this actually applies. This, this teaching, this message actually applies to us day by day. He says then um, that Jesus Christ, he, uh, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And he says, verse 11, in the same way, in the same way, so like Christ, he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves. Now, this is a word that we've actually come across before. Uh, for example, back in chapter four, when we were looking at Abraham, you might have, uh, uh, you remember that from a few weeks ago, where Paul says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now that, that word, the credited to him, it's the same word as what Paul uses here. It's when we reckon something to be true, we act as if something is true, we believe it is true, it, it is kind of accounted as true. Remember the example that we used in the case of Abraham was when you, you know, you, you transfer uh, you, you know, you, you want to transfer your car from one person to another. You're selling your car, for example, and you have to fill out the forms, send it off to the DVLA. And it's then once it's processed, the car is then accounted, it is reckoned as belonging to them. So it, it legally belongs to them. It's their car. And that's what we have to do here. We have to reckon ourselves, count ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, now, it's important to say that that doesn't mean that we are, in fact, dead to sin yet. We are not dead to sin yet. And you can, you can tell that because otherwise, why would Paul then go on to say in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
And why would Paul need to say that if we were entirely dead to sin? Now, the reason I need to stress this is because some people have misused this passage and taught that it is possible to achieve sinless perfection in this life. This is something, for example, which was taught by um, John Wesley. Um, I mean, he was quite a complicated man, what he taught about this, but it became known as the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. And then this influenced um, various different people. And it came to, to influence someone called Thomas Dundas Harford Battersby. Probably not a name that you will recognise, but uh, he started the Keswick Convention. And you maybe have heard of the Keswick Convention. It's quite a popular Christian convention and it's still going today. But it started in the 19th century by Thomas Dundas Harford Battersby. Great name, but quite difficult to say. And he, he was the vicar of Keswick and he was influenced by this holiness teaching. And for many years, when Keswick first began, it was actually doing this kind of teaching of saying that you can be free from sin in this life. You can be free from sin in this, this mortal life, you know, before we've died, before uh, the new creation. Now, the reason why I need to, to caution you against this is because people who believe in this, who believed in this teaching, people like Half of Battersby, they ended up with depression because it, the strain became too much for them. The strain became too much of knowing their own sin, knowing that they weren't perfect and you know, thinking, well, if God promises perfection and I'm not perfect, then what does that say about me? And many people in this holiness movement ended up with depression and ended up in a very bad spiritual place. And I, I really have to caution you saying, you know, God does not promise us that we will be perfect in this life. And we absolutely have to say that. Otherwise, there'll be no need for Paul to talk about this as he does in verse 12 and as he does in these next couple of verses. We have to say that otherwise we will go down that same road. So what should we, how should we think about it instead? And that's what these last couple of verses are about. So Paul says here in verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So what Paul says we should do is we should not offer ourselves to sin. So in other words, don't give sin the opportunities, but rather offer ourselves to God. And I like that he says, you know, offer every part of yourselves. You know, there's no part of our lives or, or our bodies, if you like, which God can't take and use for him and for his glory. Now that we, we should offer ourselves, body and soul, to God's service. That is the alternative. You know, it's not promising sinless perfection, but rather it is 
offering ourselves to God as we are, flaws and all, and saying to God, take me and use me. And I trust that by faith, you will give me what I need to accomplish what you want me to do. That is, that's the difference. It's, it's kind of like being given a blank slate. So saying, rather than just simply trying to follow a list of rules, here's a blank slate. You just offer yourselves to God and God will give you, um, what you what he wants you to do and God will give you the strength to do what he wants you to do. And that's kind of where I think Paul is, is going, what Paul is talking about. And, and all of these things we will come back to more as we move through Romans. So this is um, just kind of introducing it really. Um, and then Paul goes on, he finishes this section by saying, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. He says that the reason we can offer ourselves to God is because sin isn't our master anymore. We're not under law, we're under grace. We're not under the rules, but we are under God's grace. That, you know, as, as we, we thought about, you know, the law just kind of brought in condemnation because it showed us where we were going wrong. But it wasn't how God wanted us to achieve righteousness. And what Paul is saying is that, you know, we are now, our master is God. You know, that's why we can offer ourselves to him. And it's important to say that the, the final victory will not be won for us until we die. We're raised again. We're in the new creation. No, we do still sin. We're still subject to these earthly bodies which are subject to sin. That is, uh, that's something which, which we will, will be the case until we die. But the decisive moment has happened. Now, it's a bit like in the, in the Second World War, when you know, the D-Day landings happened in uh, 1944. But then the, the war wasn't won for another year or so. You know, so that the decisive moment, people recognised that D-Day was a decisive moment in the war, but the, the war wasn't actually won for another year. You know, the fighting still continued. And it's a bit like that in, in our lives. You know, we, we're united to Christ, you know, that we have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. But, but we're still battling inside with sin. We're still battling with our old nature. And we will continue to do so until we die. But the battle has changed now, and, and that's the point. And I know that this might seem a bit complicated, and we will look at this in uh, future weeks as we come back to this, and I hope it will get a bit clearer. But let's take a moment to just to, to sum up and to see where we are. What can we learn from this passage? I know that it's, I mean, as with so many of these passages in Romans, there's so much you could say. Uh, there's so much that Paul does say, and you could go into all of the ins and outs. Well, let's try and take a step back and get a, a, a sort of big picture of what's happening. I think we need to be clear about what the Christian life is not to start with. We need to be clear on what the Christian life is not. The Christian life is not following a list of rules. That's sometimes known as legalism. And we've seen that, haven't we? You know, as Paul addresses 
the Jews and about you know the way that the Jews were just looking at the law and saying well we're righteous because we have the law and Paul says no 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 that's that's not how to be righteous that's not the Christian life legalism is not the way to be righteous and we've already seen that several times through Romans but he also uh, makes clear that it's not about ignoring the rules either um, and uh, elsewhere in the New Testament for example it says in the book of Jude a very short letter in the New Testament but Jude verse there's only one chapter in Jude Jude verse 4 uh, certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. So that's possible, uh, sadly, that's a distortion of the gospel as well. And Paul would not would agree with Jude totally that you know the gospel does not mean that we can just live in immorality. Absolutely not that the gospel does not lead us to live in immorality. So the, the Christian life is not following a list of rules, but it's also not simply you know, forgetting about, about sin and just living in immorality. And that, you know, licentiousness, a license for immorality, is, as Jude puts it. Instead, there is a third way. And that is, I believe, as, as Paul puts it here, it's about offering ourselves to God in new life, in the here and now. It's just about saying, well, yes, I know I'm not perfect, God. I'm, I'm not perfect, but all I can do is offer you by faith my life now. With all my imperfections, with all of my sins, take me and use me. Give me strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you want me, what want me to do. But I offer you my all my everything, every part of me, body and soul, I offer you. Someone who has really helped me to understand this, probably more than any other, is a man called Francis Schaeffer. And um, of what he wrote, this book, I think, is the most helpful thing. It's a book called True Spirituality by, uh, by Francis Schaeffer. Let me just quote to you a little bit of what he says. He's, um, this is part of a chapter where he's looking at this part of Romans and in this section he's looking specifically at Romans chapter 6. So let me quote you what he says and he's, he's kind of dealing with that question of you know, walking in newness of life. Does that mean now or does that mean later, you know, once we're in the new creation? This is what he says. Paul is not speaking here of the future millennium or eternity. That is a different thing altogether. It is now, may walk in newness of life, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be made powerless, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6 verse 6. How? By faith. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6 verse 11. When? Right now. This is the basic consideration of the Christian life. First, 
Christ died in history. Second, Christ rose in history. Third, we died with Christ in history when we accepted him as our saviour. Fourth, we will be raised in history when he comes again. Fifth, we are to live by faith now as though we were now dead, already have died. And sixth, we are to live now by faith as though we have now already been raised from the dead. So Francis Schaeffer says that we live now by faith as though we have died and as though we have been raised again, even though our lives are still a battle and a struggle. And if you'd like more, and I can highly recommend the book, then do look at that book, uh, True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer, an enormously helpful book about living the Christian life. But the point is that we are to live a life now by faith. We are to live in the light of the death and the resurrection as we are united to Christ in his death and resurrection by faith. And we are to live a life of love. And we do that not through our own strength, but as we die uh, by faith, we die to sin, we rise to new life. As we pray to God, as we seek his will, God himself gives us the strength to do that. It's not our own strength, it's death, dying to sin, rising to new life. That's what we need. We need nothing short of, of death and resurrection. Now, I appreciate that this has been a, a complicated thing. There's so much to think about, and uh, I'd love to go into this in more detail, but we don't have the time. But I'd just like to finish with a challenge, which is have you offered yourself to God, every part of yourself to God? That's what I'd like to finish with, because that's what Paul is saying. We need to offer ourselves to God, body and soul. What would your life look like? What could it look like? if you offered yourself to God by faith and trust him. Let's pray and ask that he would give us a bigger vision of how he wants us to be. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have been, uh, we were uh, died with Christ in history, that we will be raised, and we thank you that we can live a life now by faith in the light of those, those truths. Help us. Uh, we pray, Lord, to live a life now where we die to sin and live to righteousness by faith. And we pray that you would help us to do that every day and to understand more and more what that means for how we live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.